Very much so. She is so happy what she's doing. I can't tell. She's teaching. She's learning. She's whoa. Does she get up on time? Yes. Yes. Okay. We are trying to exegize what we have said is perhaps one of the most meaningful and critically important pesukim in the entire Tanakh, namely the notion of Tzedemelokim. What's going to be discovered as we go along is that whereas this concept, this pasuk, has in fact taken front and center in the, let's call it, late 20th century by various Jewish thinkers, we're going to find that when we compare that to other thinkers of the medieval period of time and the classical period of time, this pasuk is not as incredibly significant as one may think. But that we're going to go and see where we draw out of the implications as we go along. We are talking now about the history, the exegetical history of a pasuk. That's interesting because you can do that to almost any significant pasuk. What does this pasuk mean in this generation by the exegetes? And what does it mean in that generation by the exegetes? We shouldn't only necessarily focus on the medievals, which everybody does, Rashi, number one. No. What does Masuk mean to Sa'aj and Hofni in the eastern part of the world, and what does it mean to Rashi and others in the western part of the world? How did their environment influence them, impact upon them to understand the Pasuk differently? There's clearly a history to exegesis. Whereas one person may have studied, let's say, how five exegetes of one period studied a Pasuk, we're going to study how exegetes study one Pasuk in different ages. We're trans temporal now. Not only trans geographic, but trans temporal as well. So we've again opened up our Torah, we saw the Pasuk, we studied according to his Peshat understanding, number one. Number two, we then went to Rabbi Greenberg's essay on this Pasuk, where he draws out the rabbinic implications to it, because it's all rabbinic. Number three, we now then went to Rabbi Salvech's Colonial of Faith, which this Pasuk seems to serve as the basis for what one may call a landmark philosophical statement. Rabbi Salvech, of course, is Gadol Hador of this 20th century, direct line from the Gorm Vilna, from the Brisk Rav, from Rav Chaim Salavechik, all the way down here, and he's an extraordinary mind, halachically, Talmudically. Anybody that's said a shiur knows how he analyzes thing, things, Talmudic statements, halachic statements, number one. But also equally interesting is that he has made a great impact as to being, perhaps one might say, one of the greatest of the 20th century exegetes as well. Very so rare. How did uh, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein and battery. Rabbi Kaplan look uh, uh, related? Oh, okay. Um, of course, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein and he were cousins, and there was a great kirva to them. I would say there was a great kirva between them. Similar to Rabbi Aaron Cutler, Rabbi Salvechik with the Gedolim was such an awesome presence. A, because of his lineage. Rabbi Chaim Salvechik, nobody moves the Rabbi Chaim Salvechik. Chaim Salvechik was a person who completely, totally, individually revolutionized Talmudic study, which had not been done in a thousand years since the Rambam. Chaim Salvechik is known as doing that. He's created a whole new way of studying Talmud. Should I have another battery there? Yeah, but we need it. No, we're on low, but I... No, 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 we need a square, nine volts. So we don't have it, I guess. But you're talking about the, the brisker rock. Yeah, of course. Now... Now, the Briskorov today, is he still, would you say, he's still... Uh, On the same page? Yeah. No, completely different. The family divided about a, maybe a generation ago with those who went to Eretz Yisrael and established the Briska Yeshiva Briska Derech and became more, what one say, far to the right. And Rosalvechik, who went to University of Berlin and got his PhD in philosophy <coughs> and came and established his own branch of the family. So there is that division at this point. his... Children? No, no. What he did with the Talmud now is extraordinary. Is it still absolutely today accepted? Of course, has to be. It was too land shaking. He was the Ram. He's the Rambam of a thousand years ago. The Rambam was too good to be denied. Same interesting parallel. Philosophy. We don't like it. We don't want it. But we can't deny it because it's the Rambam. Because nobody else did what he could do. It's almost similar to an interesting point. It's similar to what's the great criticism of the modern Orthodox world? Great criticism of the Mount of the world is that they haven't produced a Tamid Hacham of a stash that can pass in Shilas. What does that mean? It means, here's an interesting question. You're in a hotel on Shabbat. The non-Jewish uh, staff has made a, co- a pot of coffee for everybody in the hotel. Can a Jew, on Shabbat, can a Jew drink from that coffee? Naturally. Naturally? 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 Sorry? Okay, but why do you say that? Because they didn't make it for you. 
The sud drabanan is when you tell them to make it. She's made it for everybody, and you're the minority. Okay, so the answer is correct. Now, on Sunday afternoon, sorry. Yeah, I didn't have the coffee, but I want Emily have it. You never had the coffee. No, this one. So what happened? Why did you have the coffee? <coughs> no, I was. I don't drink coffee. I try to avoid it. <laughs> so what happened over here? So now I had, uh, but I had a question about the answer because how far do we do the gizerav rabanan that you can't? I mean, I don't know how to do svadoraita, do svadoraita. Is this suit on the goy doing it for you, or is this suit on that which the goy made, which the man you made? Is there a suit on the way he made? Do he make it for you? That was my hakira. So I wasn't sure. So, but I concluded. I'm sure that they can have. So Jeffrey was asked me. I said, "Yeah, take the coffee." But I had questions about it. But I was sure that I was really sure that it was okay. So Emily and they all had it. But actually, Emily didn't have it because she wasn't sure that I was right. But I was sure that I was right. So that's the way it played itself out. What about you, David? Did you drink the coffee? Yeah. So wait, let me get to the point. So now, so now on Sunday we had a wedding over here. Rabbi Luckstein and Rabbi It's Greenberg were here, right? And a wonderful hour and a half conversation with Rabbi Greenberg, right? About this this article that we that I was telling you about sea change in orthodoxy, I said, "How come you didn't write? They won't publish me." An orthodox rabbi from a Muslim yeshiva in Borough Park, they won't publish me. So he's marginalized himself to the point where he can't even talk to the orthodox any longer. RCA doesn't want to hear from him. He was hounded out of the almost out of the RCA. He was subject to the Vada Kavod committee, which tries to keep all the orthodox rabbis in the RCA orthodox. If they have suspicions about you, they have a small meeting and they talk about whether you're orthodox or not. And they throw you out or keep you in. Right? He passed that. But he's very upset about that. But look, you marginalize yourself to that point where you have no longer any connections. Now I have an interesting question. I have this share a lot. I say, call the question. Would I ask Rabbi Luxstein or Rabbi Greenberg this question? No. Why not? I have a question about, let's say, um, a Kohen wants to marry a Giorent. Or cannot. Or Kohen wants to marry a woman who had uh, sex with a non-Jew, and therefore is the category of zona, and therefore can cannot marry because can marry zona. I can ask Rabbi Greenberg. No, that's not their field. It's not their issue. Rabbi Tal told me this many, many years ago. He says that you know the Torah is wide, and there's those thinkers, call them the Greenbergs or looks things or whoever they may be, and there's those post scheme. So whereas we need both, we to function on a day-to-day basis, we need the post scheme. We have not produced those great poor scheme. But we've produced great thinkers. They haven't produced any thinkers. But Moshe Fonsi is not a thinker. Hamadji is not a thinker, obviously. Everybody would agree with that. They're not thinkers. They're not intellectual. They're not philosophical. They're not any of these. They're not Pashanim. We've Jacob Weinberg was definitely a Posek and also a thinker. Correct. He's probably one of the last of this, uh, one of the last of that genre. Great, po- right. Of that great Posek and a great... Thinker's the wrong word. He was a great academician. He, had a, you know, he knew about the critical Bible study. He knew his stuff. But he wasn't a thinker, a philosophical thinker. Yeah, university trained for Right. Sick. Correct. Not, not too many of those. Right. And he, uh, the last of that ilk, in that genre. Right. So I think it was a of course, to his own community. Right. But he's not, he's, no, this is a person who published responsa uh, that, that I respect. Correct. Correct. You know, four Correct. Four, yeah. Four volumes and say the Correct. Yeah. Although they have their problems with him as well, but correct. Good. So now, what does the Jewish people need? Poor scheme or thinkers? So the answer is both. Because without thinkers, you end up in in the ghetto. Without poor scheme, you can't function. So there's, ideally, these two should work together. A city should have a thinker and should have a poor sick. The community needs a rabbi to paskin chilas, quote-unquote. He also needs a rabbi to think, vision, goal, and to reach those people who are going to go out of the box. You don't lose those people, the thinkers. Human beings, you need people who are... Think, interesting point. I gave a speech to Saturday, what you heard, what you didn't hear. It was very practically oriented. So I got a lot of, but very tough about not eating certain places, things like that, right? And I got a lot of positive response because people said, we want to know what to do. We want to be told. Do not eat out. We want to be told. Email? Okay. Do not so eat was, out. Do not. What was the so, gist of the... So in the... In the, the, the Greeks and the assimilation and today we have to be Right. So don't eat out and don't not wear yarmulkes on Shabbat or come to shul and wear yarmulkes in your house when you're not praying and you're not eating. So now what was that effect? So Emily was very offended by that, my wife. She says, how could you say such tough things? I said, look, I think it's appropriate to follow the flow. It was a, I thought it was appropriate. But the feedback in terms of the kahal, the people there was very positive because people there felt a need to be told what they should and should not do. So people have that need. 
But equally true is that there are people there, I'm sure, who are more thinkers and philosophers who don't want to be told what to do. Now, we just all we want to do, we want to do. We want to eat out. We want a philosophical difference. So the, a good rabbi is able to balance both those two needs in a community and alienate some and excite others and excite others and alienate others. Right? So you need both in a community. It's, it's rooted in the nature of the human being to try to balance, to try to, to, to be of a certain type. You, at a certain point, were of one type. And you flipped now 20, 30, 40 years down the road. Correct? Changed. That's correct. Of course it's true. You radicalized. That's true. Others... No, 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 no. There's no... No, I want to... No, 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 no. No, to the contrary. To the contrary. Some people stay exactly the same. I've stayed the same over 40 years. I've always been inclined from the time I was in high school to be philosophically oriented. Couldn't wait till I could read Kant, Schopenhauer, and all these philosophers. I was a, I just, it was a world I couldn't wait to get into as, as a 10th grader, 11th grader. In 11th grade, I asked my teacher, I need a book on death. I have to know what happens after death. He gave me Rambam on the, on the team. So I always had these questions. It's a natural... Schopenhauer is better than Rambam. <laughs> different. Pessimistic, so... Charles Mizrahi once said, what's your favorite book? favorite book I said I ever read was called, a book called The Philosophy of Disenchantment. All about pessimism. How horrible this whole world is. It's, it's based on Schopenhauer. So, I was always that. It's a natural marriage. Think, thought, like this. I cannot do a computer. Why not? Because I don't. I can't be technically concerned. I can't read directions. Mordechai, we get this big basketball thing for Hanukkah and all that. Mordechai opens up and goes, okay, do A, do B, do C. He's so technically, as is Ovadia, I could deal with any ideas but I can't touch bonds. I can't read instructions. I can't. I just don't want to do that. It's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different orientation. <clears throat> so, the Jewish community has the thinkers and has the people that are halakhically. So, people that are new to religion often need guidance and structure. We we know people of our school that need this. Give me, tell me to, I'll do it. Tell me to play in traffic. I will do it because the Torah says so. Tell me to uh, eat at three o'clock a.m. a piece of apple. He'll do it. Why? Because that's what Torah says. He has no better, and that's what, that's what he does. He needs, these people need direction, focus. Others, no matter what you tell them, would not want that. I never liked doing, I don't want to go else, actually. Back to you. But Soloveitchik is one who, in fact, was able to combine both. He's a great Talmud analyzer of texts, had little respect for Sfaradim of the Talmud generation who only collected sources. On the other hand, analyzed pursuit of truth, and he would also be philosophically inclined as well. And a great exegete. You are mesmerized by his ability, literally, to analyze a text. And then wax philosophically and eloquently and poetically, and you're really literally carried away on the wings of his exegesis. I've been to hundreds, I think, over the course of the seven years that I was studying in Boston, uh, to his did I short. I have notes of them. I still say, Wow. I was going over my notebook of 1975 and 76, right? I'm really, I said, wow. He said this, wow, 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 wow. It's, it's incredible. It was amazing. His exegesis. And I was always much more amazed and enthralled by his exegesis as opposed to his Tamuk analysis. Because that didn't thrill me. I, I mean, okay, do it. Compare this, that. I didn't see it. I appreciate it. I did it for two years. I wasn't happy. But his philosophy, this was so much more overwhelming to me than even as, as Talmudic analysis. But of course, and you said, in the yeshiva world, you cannot avoid confrontation with this man's thought because it's so good. It's sort of like studying physics without Einstein. You don't study physics without Einstein. You might disagree with Einstein, okay, but you, you can't study physics without Einstein. You cannot study Talmud without Roy Soloveitchik, the brisk derech. You must know what he says because that's the latest in how to analyze a text. And the rest, everybody else... Whatever they could do, they can't analyze the way he analyzes. Right. So now, of course, they have to. They, they build a wall between that and his philosophical exegesis. They don't want to hear about his exegesis. They don't want to hear about this thing. Burn those books. Rav Shach said about his this particular essay and all these kinds of things. Burn them. It's heresy. So here's an interesting personality where we need him and love him and care about his one-sided personality, his, his Talmudic analysis, as the Rambam. On the other hand, everything else we can't deal with, we don't want to deal with. So they always had this mixed relationship in answer to your question regarding Rabbi Salavajic. Right? Now back to over here. We have a pasuk. Selim Elohim pasuk. We studied the shot of that pasuk. We studied Robert Greenberg's understanding of that pasuk, which is basically Talmudically inclined, but put it into a new framework. Good. You should have brought your essays. You brought your essays? We have them here. Okay, good. 
Now we're at Rabbi Soloveitchik. Here he writes this major work, which has impact upon thousands of people, literally thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. He's had thousands of students. He's given Simichat to more people than any other rabbi in history. Is a point that I read once. He's given Simichat over the last, let's say, 50 years to more people than anybody, any other rabbi in history. Right? 50 years, let's say, times 30 or 40 per year. Sorry? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But that's what he's done. And there are tens of thousands of grand students to the extent where even now, it's an interesting phenomenon, when we had the Why Call Ill over here five, six, seven years ago, eight, nine years ago, and they were talking about him in the first, the Rav said, the Rav taught. They, had, they didn't know him. He was already retired by then. He was always in his 90s by then. He was 91 years old at that point. They didn't see or know anything about him, but the Rav's Torah hangs around YU. The Rav said, the Rav this, the Rav that. He's called the Rav. To me, I was so imbued with this, the Rav that I could never even refer to him by any other term. And when I came here, I said, who's the Rav? People tell me, who's the Rav? You don't know who the Rav is? Like, like, like you don't know who Einstein is. Same exact analogy. You never heard of Einstein? You never heard of Freud? I've never heard of the Rav. And so we never did. You know, until myself and Rabbi Harari, just because we taught, we learned, and now it's a common, somewhat more commonplace. But Moshe everybody knows, of course. It's an interesting sociology of knowledge where a community shuts in and keeps out certain personalities. Rabbi Moshe is, is in, for whatever reason. Pragmatic. Pragmatic, or just... Um, deals with the everyday occurrence. Everyone deals with... Philosophy. Religion. Correct. But I would say that a community, I mean... We need both. Like See, at, correct, but at YU, it's the, well, the Rav is everything. It's an academic world, too. Yeah. Correct. Okay, good. But in Boston, which is a community, but his presence was there, the Rav, this, the Rav, the same thing. So it's a major, major impactful personality of the 20th century, produces this work, and he's exegizing or isogizing on this pasuk. Difference? Exegizing means he's interpreting the Peshat and implications of this pasuk. Isogizing means he's reading into it. And that's what we want to analyze. So we've already finished the first section which talks about Adam 1. What does Adam 1 mean? You have two creation stories. There are four differences between the creation stories. We had gone over those differences. Now remember that nobody really ever approached the issue this way before. Baba Crick says, two authors. Okay. What do you do with that? He says, that's not my concern. Torah is written to address two elements of the human being. Which elements? What he calls, let's call them typologies or pure types. Really it's one, but we're going to divide it in order to, be, to analyze it. Correct? So Adam 1 is a person who is scientifically inclined, who is concerned with the functional, practical, pragmatic aspect of the world. Adam 2, which we're going to look at right now, is very different. He's the lonely man of faith almost. Of course, this is true of every person. Every person really has these two sides to the person. He has in one dirasha. It's interesting. They're... Um, Today, this year, 2003, is the 100th anniversary of his birth. So the Salvation Institute in Boston, working with Charles Antibi and Rabbi Schachter, wants to do something, a dinner, and something that's intellectual, all that. Good. So I suggested that he has so many of these interesting comments throughout his, all of his data short. He has thousands of data short on tapes. So to record them all and to transcribe them all is a good idea. Right? You can get from the Internet now three, 400 of his tapes. Easy enough. That's not good enough because how many of us listen to the tapes just randomly? So you want to transcribe, transcribe these? I said something else. No, I said, if you could take out all of these that I short and, and and write a running commentary on Torah, that would be a wonderful contribution. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, well, no, they're, no, they're, no. they're in a, they're, they're Put them in the context of, of a pasuk. Yeah, okay. So, okay. for example, the way you think <coughs> I don't like that analogy. Oh, okay. But okay. No, but I don't get like the analogy. Art school is not my favorite. <laughs> okay. So, what's an example of that? You have the word Vayitzer Hashem Elokim. Hashem Elokim created, fashioned, Perik Bet of Bereshit. There's two yuds. Look at the Rashi. Rashi says, what did he do? He took afar dirt from all over the earth and he made Adam. And she says, another drash is that he took it all from the Mizbeah rooted from one place. Well, Selegic's so commentary on this is that two elements of the human being. One element is that he, man, human being, wants to roam the heavens intellectually, wants to conquer, is mystified, and wants answers to his questions. On the other hand, a man always needs to be rooted in a certain place by the Mizbeh. You want to come home. You need to have your feet firmly planted, and you want to be buried in where your roots are. You want to be, end up over here 
after you roam. <coughs> Two elements of the human being. So to over here, <coughs> excuse me, we have Adam 1, which we covered. Now we have Adam 2. Adam 2, very different side of Adam 1. In the same way you have the practical, pragmatic personality, now you have the one who is more speculative or better, more profoundly concerned about who he is. You all know people who emphasizes one or the other. You know those people, probably in the same community, you're going to find more Adam 1s than you're going to find Adam 2s. Right? We'd agree. It's interesting why the community produces that. The Adam 1s, the person who's going to go out and, and be the first man to take a, a, a slow boat to China to, make a, to build a business in China. It's values. It's it's how it motivates them, how they have to live. And okay, good, correct. And they end up doing all those pragmatic, practical things, and they're not interested in the philosophical question: Why am I doing this? Yeah. Were they, was, I don't know if you know that was the community always like this? Absolutely. Even Except that Eli, when I said this about five years ago, four years ago, and you wrote me three emails oh, about it. Letters. Letters. Wait, no. So no, I made I the mean, point. When's the last? No. When Halab? One second. When did Adam II is like Adam I, intrigued by the cosmos, but really... Oh, please, Eli, I'm sorry. What page are we up to? What page are you... Page 9. I went just to read it from the beginning, and I said, let me just read the part that wasn't assigned. Right. So, on the paragraph before where we were supposed to start, here... Where further? Modern theological and philosophical categories. That's where he's coming from. Where are you reading? The paragraph was... Before I go any further, okay, I wonder, okay, go ahead. this is a modest attempt to interpret based on modern. Basically, we asked a question. I didn't see this until today. Where he's really he's talking, he's speaking in mm-hmm. modern theological and philosophical categories. In other words, if you want to answer the question, is this a shot or not? I think he's part of the answer. Um, my interpretive gesture is please subjective. Subjective, that means he's reading into the text. No, 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 read the whole thing. He's not referring to my interpretation. Uh, my interpretive gesture. Completely subject, there's no claim to representing a definitive philosophy. So he's referring to his interpretation based on. Wait, 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 wait. He's referring to this entire book. Okay. He's not referring to what he says about Tenem and Okim, which is only the first two chapters of this book. In other words, this entire book is his. It's it's his we're subjective. We're in the core of the book here now. I mean, no, we just started the book. Sure. But I'm saying, what's to follow? This is what's to follow. Not what's to follow as a general broad statement. What's to follow generally is exactly this. My interpretive gesture as to what Judaism is is subjective. What, what Judaism is. My gesture to me sounds like his no. interpretation of Pesukim. No, absolutely not. Which in this type of my book. <laughs> okay. In my humble it's opinion, Rabbi, in this type of a book, he's setting up a cop out for not having references and. No, 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 no. The reason why I'm saying that, it's a small book, it's not a giant book, and it's more or less a personal philosophy of the... That's correct. Exactly. Agreed, agreed. Which doesn't have to have rooted in other thinkers. That's what he says. You're absolutely right. That's what he's saying. He says, now, either buy it or don't buy it. That's what he says over here. Which means he's not subject to all the discipline of an academic work. Absolutely correct. He's a thinking work. Exactly. 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 We don't do Absolutely. That's a very serious question. So I'm saying we shouldn't ask that question. Oh, I think at the outset. I don't agree. It's not a great point. Okay. No, I'll tell you why. At the outset. Let him finish his point first. And see what we can get out of the message he's trying to get. He's trying to give us a, a message that has meaning to all of us. To a guy, 20th, 21st What do century. I gain by... Okay, good. And what do gonna, I gain? He's going to base it on Pesukim. Pesukim weren't saying that, but he's going to use the Pesukim so it's all the dash. So what's so then it's then all is we have books that then it's all that it's homiletics. Yes. Only homiletics. Only. But what do you mean? We have books here that lasted fifteen hundred years. Retaining himself. Agreed. Okay, I agree with all that. The only was now let's look at the other side. You know, denigrating. I'm not denigrating. I love it. Okay, good. But now, what do I gain if I call it if I call it shot? What do I gain? If I if I have a, an axe to grind, I say, I'm going to insist this shot. Let's say I, I'm I'm open to either one. I raise it as a question, but let's assume we call this shot. 
this refers not to the entire book. That really is his personal subjective philosophy. But let's assume his interpretation of this one verse, which is only regarding the first two chapters. One passage. And it's in the first two chapters. What do I gain if this is really the shot of the Pasuk? That's a deeper understanding. No. This is God's word. That's what I was about to say. Okay. Yeah. This is what God wants. And it makes it truer. It makes it truer. As opposed to being his <coughs> subjective dirasha, which I would say, ah, man's opinion. As opposed to saying God's point about what the human being really is. Is the human being Adam one and Adam two or not? Is that what the Pasuk is telling me? So I'm going to play devil's advocate and say, just for the purpose of this discussion, that in fact, this is the Peshat of the Pasuk. That in 2,000 years, nobody ever thought this before, that you have the word Selim Elohim, divine image. What does it mean to be created in divine image? Now, Peshat does not mean, we didn't want to fall into somebody's trap last week, who said, uh, somebody's the literal understanding. That's what Peshat means. It's not literal, certainly not literal. Literal means, do not see the God of Mother's milk. It's not what we're talking about. Peshat may mean... Shot may mean in this context, let's say, what the text meant to impl- meant convey. to imply to convey to me. This is what God wants me to know about this particular issue. Mm-hmm. Me. Is that for five years ago. Correct. Good. Correct. Any reader. Not any reader. That was our definition of what we're doing. Correct. In Correct. Okay. So, so I want. Order and it's What's a tall order? What's a tall order? What? It's a tall order to say that this interpretation is shot. Yeah. Why? That's my opinion. Uh, you so can't, that's not my opinion. It's not an answer to my question. Why? <laughs> that's certainly not an answer to it. I don't get your opinion. Because so in, his, in this paragraph, he says he, it's subjective. He, 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 what is this? You could lose. In what? other words, the reader, if his, if his sights are here, in other words, I'm saying this is what it is. You're saying no, it's over here. Right. right? So I'm saying if you say his sights here and it's not, then uh, what? Not I could always fall back, back to Dadash. Okay. I could always say at the end, okay, it was nice. And my tendency is to say exactly that, that I want to see this as Peshat. This, I look at this as this is truth. The way he understands Adam 1, Adam 2, rootlessness, pragmatism, search for meaning, redemption, prayer as dialogue, all those concepts which are part of this. Of this. How you relate to your wife is what this is all about as well. Because the way Adam 1 relates to his wife is a pragmatic union. You help me, I'll help you. How Adam 2 relates to his wife is very different. I don't feel comfortable just you, you, a pragmatic union. When I talk to couples getting married, I could say you could have the six types of marriages that one can have based on creative, energetic, dynamic growth is number one. Six is conflict-ridden marriage that even though people bicker and argue all day long and all life long, they don't see this as a reason for divorce, but they live to fight with each other. I know couples like this. They enjoy the sparring attempt. So husband will come home and she'll say, I had a really good day. I had a worse day. And it ends up becoming an issue where he feels cathartic by virtue of fighting with his wife. I'm not that way. I don't fight with my wife. Right? But, and four or five other different ways of viewing marriage. He's going to view marriage of Adam 2 in a very different way. That Adam 2 is looking for redemption. I need to escape the confines of being lonely. And his wife can provide him and he can provide her with a creative community covenantal community wherein God is a third partner and which creates this wonderful scenario right so now if that's the case if that's what God has in mind for me Adam 1 Adam 2 then and this is what God wants then this rings true to me so God wants and I feel great about it but on the other hand if it's only his dirash I would say it's only a dirash I, I like it it's nice okay nothing more than that well we that, well we, we read it what does it mean to say, and this is the interesting point, God created a human being in His image. I want to go back to my statement, to who? To whom? To whom? Right. To 21st century men or to the... To everybody. No, no, because if you if, if, if you read this, to defend Eli just for a second, if he doesn't mind, if you read this to somebody living 4,000 years ago, they would go, huh? Maybe not. Yeah, Eli's saying her too. That's correct. That's correct. No, no, no. Moses read this. Moses read this at Sinai. No, they wouldn't know. But if you're married, I don't know if that's true. If you're saying this is a shot, the original intention of the world. Jack, I think if 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 Moses read this and it is drash, if you're saying it is drash and Moses read this, he already knew it. No, to the people. Read it to the people. That's what I'm why do you assume? Read, read okay, it, read it aloud that, to the people. Why do you assume that? The that's people the case. understand and say, 
more than oh, we would. Oh, I got it. More than we would. Why do you assume that? Why do you assume that you're, you're a desert people? If this is human nature. This is the nature of human nature. It's Adam 1 and Adam 2. So take a guy a thousand years ago, or two thousand, three thousand years ago. Tell him there's two type, two parts to your personality. I think you're underestimating what people were then. I think we are jaded, but so let's say the person goes ahead and says, and one part of you wants to explore and wants to be pragmatic, and the other part of you wants to find meaning and redemption in life. Were those people two thousand years ago, three thousand years ago, at Har Sinai in search of redemption? Think about who they were. Not Very you think. No, no, no. Maybe to you. No, but think. No, think about who they were. You think they're all ignoramuses running around? They had morals. They had a moral sense. What does that mean? They were tribal. Moral, moral sense and intelligence has two separate. A lot of them. Two separate entities. Moral sense. Oh, why? Because they were illiterate. What does illiteracy have to do with human nature? And explain somebody what it was. In other words, are you assuming they're all like like ten-year-olds uh, running around? Is that what you think that that per- person was? I mean, you don't really know. How do you know what this is all about? You don't know what they were like. I mean, the anthropologist, the, the, the opinion. Perhaps the, the picture you painted as far as the different couples and one couple. Would it, I want to get to it, but okay. Yeah, that sound doesn't sound. Fourteenth um, uh, century BC, it sounds twentieth uh, century. Dynamic. Why could a person have felt lonely three thousand years ago? Could a person have this inner feeling? He's a human being. He's a human being, right? Where human is he's a human being? He has arms. He has. A, has he's what? You want to paint these as time immemorial? The truth, that's right. And, and he and, and he's alone in the world. There's something knowing. No, why are you saying that? All the more so. All the more so. And be alone. What? But that was what. That's my point. You don't need all that. Your loan is a feeling you have. One second. Can't a person who's a high school drop... He didn't know how to express... He may not have had the language to express... He did. Why not? I'm alone. I need Levad. I'm alone. You don't need a college degree to feel something. Did he feel pain? No, but he may not have been able to express... And maybe he did. Talim is much more expressive 3,000 than anything we could come up with. As a poem, when he says, What's a human being that you should be mindful? What is he really saying over here? He's saying, look at the universe. He didn't have the, the 100,000 light year galaxy that we have, right? He didn't have the awareness of 100 billion galaxies out there in our universe. All he just looked up on his porch and says, Look at these stars. He sees 2,000 stars, right? And he says, God, what is a human being that you are mindful of that person? What was he feeling? We call it existential crisis. Forget the term. He's saying the same thing that, and feeling the same way that I feel when I look at it and I say, wow, I read Einstein's biography yesterday and I see, wow. I said, wow. He says, well, I say, wow. Where's that wow rooted? It's not rooted in my cosmos. It's rooted in this awesome awareness of what is out there. You see a vast ocean in front of you. What do you say? We say, wow. He says, wow. Look at the Grand Canyon. We say wow, and he says wow. So it's the same. Look at Tehillim's expression of these wows. So he says, but Then he has this insight that even though I look at myself as a small, minuscule part, I'm much. I feel myself much smaller because I know much more, perhaps. But it's not really knowledge. It's in a feeling in your gut that says, "What is a human being?" And he said, "You know something, but God created me." Now this shot of those two senses, right? It sounds very existential in 20th century. But really, it's 3,000-year-old work. And I could find dozens of those issues of a man complaining about illness, about aloneness, about infidelity. These are human beings. So they may not have had the terminology or the vocabulary or the training or the anthropology or any of that, but they still had human being feelings and emotions. It seems to me like, uh, say, you take psychoanalysis and give it to the Greeks um, previously, how they would react to it. Modern, modern language and the language, correct, but uh, but still describes the human condition. Correct, it still describes the human condition. That's my point. All we're talking over here about the human condition, which is what God is saying, as opposed to He has a nice point in a pasuk. Did He bring all of His stuff, remember such stuff, and put it into this pasuk? His hope is to put it into this pasuk, or did this come first, or some kind of maybe? Let's look at it differently. An interactive merging between both of those two. But I still want to know, is this Peshat or not? 
So pshat means what the intention of the text really was. So I'm going to work on the premise that it's not simply a darash. My premise over here is that this is the other pasuk Salam Elokim. Man is created in the image of God. What does that mean? And the Torah, God wants to draw out the implications of that. So the implication of that is that there's, an, there's a part of the human being which is called Adam 1, which has this pragmatic quest for power, for conquering the Kivshuha. Right? On the other hand, that's the first chapter of Adam. And the term they use is Elohim, the divine force. Elohim, the force, is with us, right? The force. On the other hand, we have a chapter 2, where God creates man with the name Yudke Vavke, which is intimacy and closeness, which is a term for redemption. Creates woman, because man is alone. Man's alone. He's feeling lonely. He doesn't have anybody. So God creates woman from his side. Whereas in the first chapter, she's she's created at the same time, pragmatic union. I help you, you help, we're together. Second chapter, no, it's not together. It's it's he searches for her and <coughs> finds her to fill a need. Remember the chapters, what he talks about over here is that man should, should not be alone. He then looks at all the animals and tries to find a helpmate, a soulmate. He can't find anything, he can't relate to anybody. Now, is this 20th century or is this really happening? That sequence of ideas. And then finally, create, Hashem creates woman. Is that a pshat or danash? Is that a nice thing a rabbi could say that you've got to go look for your spouse? Or is that really what's happening over there? Meaning that man feels alone. It's a, it's a human part of the human condition. Man feels alone. And he needs to find, a cat doesn't do it, a dog doesn't do it, right? A rat doesn't do it, a snake doesn't do it. He needs to find something that he can relate to, physically, but much more important psychologically and emotionally, because you can relate physically to an animal, but you can't relate psychologically and emotionally to an animal. It's an interesting point. Is this not a description of a human being? I'm going to form it in 20 terms, but it's going to be true of every human being. A child is born. The child is dependent upon his parents. Absolute and total dependency. We agree? We agree. Food to nurse, clothing to wipe his backside. Completely dependent. The child grows and develops and all of a sudden hits a stage called adolescence. Is adolescence a 20th century phenomenon or is it always true? What happens in adolescence? The child says, you know something? I have a natural need to now be rather than dependent, independent. The child now goes through the which you guys don't know about, but we know about, no, we know about, where a child goes from the ages 14, 15, there's an incredible transformation. All the more interesting when you have two kids in two of those worlds, an 8-year-old, a 5-year-old, and, and then you have a 15-year-old and a 20-year-old. Right? I have that whole span, right? So then I see all of a sudden that my teenager, whichever kid it was at that particular time period, does what? Now is asserting themselves. Kid who didn't say be a boo to anybody at any point, now says, I, I'm, I'm my own person. I'm dressing my, with my own clothes. I want to buy my own things. I want to do whatever I need. To, I need. Something in them says, I need independence from you. Spend five years doing that. From 14 through 19, they spend five years of being independent. They do crazy things. They go skydiving and they go driving both places. places. They're independent. Then what happens? <laughs> then what happens? Then at a certain point, the, and we, those of us who are married felt at a certain point we need somebody to share life with. Then we want to achieve interdependence. Right? What does that mean, interdependence? I need. It's a need you have. You want to be married. You want to share life. You want to feel love. Now, we know that, of course, there are people who always remain, because of one reason or another, in the dependent stage on their parents. They're 50 years old. They're still living with their parents. We know people like that? Yeah, we do. They never got out of that stage. They just didn't develop that way. And we know people that have so independent, as you just pointed out, that they never had a need for interdependency. They never just always independent. They can even get married. Guess what? They still are independent. They get married because they're supposed to get married. They're still in that independent stage, still flo- floating around. And there are those who have gone through this normal process, have a need for somebody. Now, my need was at 26, and I felt it because at 22. And at 23, and at 24, and 25, I was too busy reading, thinking, getting semicha, getting grad, doing all the things I was doing. Who needs anybody else? But all of a sudden, at 26 in December of that year, I need somebody. Isn't that interesting? I want to be with somebody. I don't want to be alone. I, w- I need somebody to share with. I need somebody. Not physically, but emotionally, psychologically. Procreation. I wasn't interested in procreation at that time. No. I had my books. What I need procreation for? 
Look at my book. Yes, I got 10,000. That's correct. That's exactly it. If you write. Right. You create. Exactly. So I need that. So it's just an emotional emptiness. I don't want to be alone. I just, I don't want to be alone. Now, in, in Boston, there are a lot of people who are alone. So you, now you have a concrete manifestation of she's here, she came in for a graduate degree, she got her MS or MA and PhD, and she's still alone and she's 28 or 30. And I was, in that time, I was 26. But there are people that are now five years old, they're 30, 31, 32. I don't want to be, I don't want to be that. I, I put a, an image to my feeling. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be that person. I want to, I want to be with somebody. So that is a normal state of my terms. Dependence, independence, interdependence. Is that true of a guy a thousand years ago, you think? Do with uh, it? Is that a choice question? He was told Did he you feel? Very Not necessarily. That's a story. That was a that's, that's a stereotype. But some, some no, not everybody. No, 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 no. That's not true. First of all, you don't know that that's true. You don't know. You don't know that that's true. You don't know that that was true. Two billion Indians currently can't be wrong, right? Two billion Indians? I don't know. I don't know Indians. But if you read Goy, if you read Goy, turns a Mediterranean society, which describes that world. No, 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 no. No, Ram didn't arrange his kids' marriages. Okay, did, did they feel alone? Did. Maybe. Did they feel alone? Did you feel alone a thousand years ago? Did you feel a need to love somebody? Did they have love a thousand years ago? Two thousand years ago? Did they have love? Of course they did. We have poems that talk about love. It's not so fundamental what he's saying. Why do we have to do I, I agree. That's uh, what I'm saying. Part of it is culturally determined. Part of it. Part of it. Part of it. Sure. Part of it. I'm not talking about Part of the love I just think you need something with a feeling, but it was also what's expected of you. Correct, but it was more That's my, my feeling which, which motivated me. So that came from inside. It was a human need. So my point of view is that the human condition or it has been the same for 2,000 years. Feeling aloneness, feeling metaphysically small. There's some common denominators. That's my point. Right. Okay. So now, if this is what Torah is telling us, you need to find a partner and create a redeemed existence. Not only physically, but psychologically and emotionally. And this is God's word. That whole interpretation of Adam says, Adam's alone. He looks to all these animals for a mate. He doesn't find that. And all of a sudden God says, it's not good to be alone, and he creates him a help mate. Is that, the, is that a description of the human condition? Or is that a dirash that somebody made up at one point? So if it's pshat, that's what God is saying is part of the human condition. That's pshat. That's, that's really what happens. It's a prototype of the human development. From independence to, interde- to interdependence, from dependence. Maybe uh, we don't know yet. So, okay, correct, 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 correct. It could be absolutely, absolutely correct. So, I think what you're referring to on page nine. Let me just get back to this point over here. My interpretive gesture, when I interpret a pasuk or this book, is completely subjective and lays no conclusion. He means the entire book. His whole interpretive gesture, I don't think he's referring to Pesukim, is subjective, and I know it's not a bit of halakha philosophy. This whole book, what it is, is, is referring to this whole entire book. If I also feel that these interpretations are also relevant to their personal emotions, I shall feel amply rewarded. But I should not feel hurt if I feel emotionally in the hearts of my listeners. Okay, it's a very self-revealing kind of a statement. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing young statement. So now... The disclaimer... I don't know if he's a disclaimer. No. I think it's like an accountant does a disclaimer on a, on a statement. He's saying, look, this is, I'm letting my hair down. Right. My first time, maybe, or maybe my last time, I'm going to do something like right. that. Right, correct. And I'm so chained with all my academic right. requirements. Okay. And here, I'm going to just let go. Right. And he's telling you that up front. So it's a disclaimer. You don't have to agree with me. Right. That's something that I'm pressing you. It's in you. my heart. Correct. It's in my heart, and here it is. And then that statement okay, of his loneliness was an unbelievable statement that you read two weeks right, ago. Right, correct. Weeks ago. Right. Tied him with you. Right, okay, exactly, exactly. So he's saying that I find relief in the spoken word. Here's an interesting point to counter what you're saying. In this earlier section over here, in the introduction, that you raise the issue, right? All I, now, this is All I want to do is follow the advice given by Elihu, son of Berachel of old, who is the friend, fourth friend of Eov. Eov has his three friends, and they come yell at him, 
only the fourth guy, in the last 36 and 37 chapter, who said, I will speak that I might find relief. Right? It's a beautiful statement. I speak, He's I have to speak. It out. He's letting it out. Right. Exactly that point. For there was a redemptive quality for an agitated mind in the spoken word, and a tormented soul finds peace in confessing. That's a pasuk. That's his commentary on it. The pshat of Darash of that pasuk. Is the pshat of Darash of that pasuk? Is he relating to that pasuk, or is that what Elihu meant three thousand years ago when Yov was written? Pshat of Darash. That's my point. Exactly my point. That's a huge stretch. Actually, it's because the same point. If he's Peshat over there, is he Peshat here? No. no. I don't know. I don't know. But my point is, here's, over here, here's a Pasuk, and he has a very fancy English about this whole thing. Tormented soul, agitation, finds peace, confessing, and all that. He finds all that over here, right? So that's Peshat of that Pasuk. So my point over here is that, as well... Sorry? He spoke before. Before you came. So, so what we're saying over here is that this sentiment came is that God's word, this is the human condition that the Adam 1 and Adam 2, which we want to describe still, and then we want to move on to some other things, or is it his nice point? Rabbi, you read a mere mortal's word, and yet it's the chapter that I can lend you to Hashem's word? Because, yeah. Hashem, Hashem, Elohim, What does it mean? What does it mean? That guy said something very simple. Which guy? Uh, Elihu. Right, right, okay. Uh, I don't remember the name. Elihu, no, Elihu, right, right, right. Okay. He said, this is what I'm doing, this is exactly what I'm doing, this is what I want to accomplish for my personal views. Mm-hmm. And he's saying it. Okay, I agree. Not. I agree, so fine. have to ascribe Peshara Deraj. This is a Peshara, I'm telling you what I want to do. Because I, I have to figure not out... Shakespeare, by the way. Shakespeare's on even a higher level. I don't mean it from a derogatory point of view, putting him down. But Shakespeare meant it to be... Multi-layered. Yes. He okay, didn't. he didn't. Correct. I agree he didn't. Ileano has a pasuk, and he says, I speak that we find relief. So let's come along and quotes that and gives a flourish to it. And then he, so and that's he the identifies shot. to it. So that's and you the shot. you should too, by the way, because you're someone to rob Exactly. Okay, correct. You're in his rhythm and everything. Absolutely. We're not yet. It speaks to me in an incredibly profound way. Right. And in, in a way that I can't even tell you. I, one of the... Uh, So his representation of this pasuk and interpretation of it seems to me to be the pshat. This is what really is in the pasuk, is what I'm saying. Not only the rash, you know, again, I don't stand or fall on this issue, and I hear what you're saying, but I think we should have to look at it, and you've you read it before, so you could be either convinced or you're not convinced of it. I would love to know what he thought it was when he wrote it. I think he thought that this is what the pasuk really means. He, w- he said, "What to you, by the way? Say, How would he reacted to that committee decision and all that? What would he have done? Maybe you have done you did, you did the right thing exactly. What he took courage and all that with just and maybe the decision was right that you did it. I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. I'm not sure yet. I still doesn't suffer the consequences. Doesn't mean anything. It does mean I was not too courageous. I think no, it's that's still. Uh, you're right. You're correct. I see the myself. The courageous as one is to go against his feeling. Maybe and okay. go to the future of the community. That's correct. Correct. Could be. Okay, Not good a point. Fight. I hear that. No, I don't want to make a personal fight, but you're right. Good point. I, 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 I could hear that. I think that he would say to you that at the, when I when he wrote this thirty years ago, forty years ago, that he read a Pasuk and he drew out the implications. He believed that he's drawing out the implications. At that point. This is the this is the Pasuk, Salem and Okim. So he asked himself, what does Salem and Okim mean? The objective proof. We didn't do Haki's introduction. <laughs> now we had the we had the beautiful 
I did. I did. Yes, that's correct. And he's actually saying what he wants to accomplish. He's saying, I'm letting my hair down. Please permit me to go. I don't care if you're with me or you're against me. Correct. It's just my freedom. We agree. But that doesn't mean he's saying, I'm going to find a Peshat. How can you say that? It means... You can say that, of course. <laughs> no, it means the following. It means that... Uh, everything you're not going with his introduction. No, no, no. no, no wait a second. No, but that's Eli's point. Uh, oh, was it that your point, Eli? Yeah. Yes, and, uh, and what I answer Eli is I'm not answering you, which is, yeah, most of the time. What that really means is that this entire book is exactly what you said. However, within this book, there's going to be his interpretations on a Peshat level of various they Pesachim. They fall that way, and a guy like Correct. you, a guy like you, that's what I'm saying. Go into it, mm-hmm. will be prejudiced and tell us that's a Peshat. And I, I have to fight you. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, you are. No, I'm saying that in this broad book, he's not even saying it. He is. Wait, 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 no, no, no. Again, 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 again. I'm sorry. I, he is meaning the following. Get the step in the. Uh, Yes. Okay. Yeah, give me one second. In this, everything you said about letting your hair fall down and all that stuff is what he did in this book. Right? Lonely man of faith. I'm going to let my hair fall down. This, this is who I am. This, this is a self-explanatory step of who I am. However, within that context, he's going to quote various Pesukim and right. as what they mean, what their Peshat is. In this state of his... Yes, 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 yes. Letting my hair down. Yes, help yes. Him understand, tell who him he is. Who he is. Exactly. Exactly. He's going to find this mystical. Thing. That's not mystical. No, that's not mystical. This, this Selim Elokim, right? No, I mean, he's esoteric. This Selim Elokim is helping him explain who he is to himself. So it's there. Or to the reader. Or to the reader. The reading, the reading of the pasuk as Peshat Darash is is a reading of Peshat Darash. I know. I'm saying the letting the hair down. And, and it that's his vehicle that to get shot, there. Right. That's like smoking some. Of course, that's my meat. point. That, that's a, a Correct. Oh, let, me, let me go on because I have to end by 10. Adam second is, like Adam the first, intrigued by the cosmos. Intellectual curiosity. Intellectual, page 21. Intellectual curiosity drives them both to confront courageously the mysterium magnum, which means what in Latin? The great mystery of being. Correct? However, the cosmos provokes Adam the first to quest for power and control. Now, isn't this true about people? Power and control, making them functional. How? Adam's second response to the call of the cosmos by engaging different kinds of conversations. He does not ask a single functional question. Instead, his inquiry is of a metaphysical nature and a threefold one. He wants to know why is it? What is it? Who is it? He wonders why did the world and the totality come into existence? Why is man confronted by a stupendous and different order of things? That's the first question. Why? Now, I've asked that question, and most of us have asked these existentialist questions. It is true that the businessman who works on 42nd Street and has to sell $2,000 a day to survive because there's a high rent is not going to ask that why question. He's interested in power and control and trying to get through the day in life. Making money. But not at that point. Then I could ask right. why. When? He makes money. Yeah. You need money to ask the question why. That's correct. That's why I'm going to raise this year. And then it don't correct. make a difference. <laughs> why? And then it doesn't make a difference because i got the money. It does make a difference. <laughs> Otherwise, what do you do with your money? I'm doing my money. Is, is, right? I'm going to write a routine on this. <laughs> that would be touche that would really work out well he asks what is the purpose of all this what is the message that is in body in organic and organic matter what does the great challenge reaching me from beyond the fringe of the universe as well as well as the death of the twin of my soul mean now the last is the best Adam said keeps on wondering who is he who trails me steadily uninvited and unwanted like an everlasting wow. shadow and vanished through senses of transcendence the very instant I turned around to confront this numinous, awesome, and mysterious he. Numinous. Um, how do I translate numinous? Numina. It's also phenomena, which is a... This is a phenomenon. Numinous is an aura, almost. It's Kantian philosophy. It's hard to explain this. Numinous. Awesome, mysterious he. Who is he who fills Adam with awe and bliss, humility, sense of greatness concurrently? An astounding paragraph. It's one of the greatest paragraphs I've ever read in my entire life. Full of light. No, it's I don't know. Who is he to whom Adam clings in passionate, all-consuming love, and from whom he flees in mortal fear and dread? This is what God does to you. Right. Who is he who fathers Adam irresistibly, <clears throat> at the same time rejects him irrevocably? Who is he who Adam expresses both as the mysterious tremendous and as the most elementary, most obvious, and most understandable truth? Look how close he is to God to begin with, even to write this. Who is he who is Dios Revelatus, God who reveals, 
and Dios Abba's God, God who hides. Simultaneously, who is he whose <clears throat> life-giving and life-forming breath Adam feels constantly, and will at the same time remains distant and remote from all? It's a definition of God, this whole paragraph. Isn't that extraordinary? That's well. It's a definition of God. Exactly. It's, it's a description. Yeah. No, correct. Description, right. Exactly. The paradox of the divine human encounter is what he describes over here. Now, again, admittedly, not everybody in this room has ever felt this the depth of this. But those who have say, wow, yes, I see it. Is that what's implied in Salem and Okim? God created man in his image. What does that mean in his image? It means on the one hand, Adam 1, which we discussed and all that. It also means Adam 2, where this goes to the heart of the human being who asks the why question and the who question. Where is that in we we didn't get to that yet. We will get to that. So that's we'll get to that in a minute. Don't yeah. understand. That's an unfair question. We'll get to that. We'll touch on that's one of the four things we're going to talk about. No, but how does this connect with any of the, the four differences? Yeah, any of the four differences. He'll get to that. He gets to that. I maybe I don't know maybe if I zero it for you or not, but because he has the four this is Yud Kevav Ke, not Elohim. Elohim is an impersonal force of nature. That's chapter one. Chapter two of Bidashi, which we had done a few weeks ago is Yud Kevavke, which is the divine tetragrammaton, which is a divine name, which plays this shadow game with Adam and commands, what is Elohim? The word Elohim means power, almighty. Elohim comes, means, Elohim means power. What does the powerful force say to Adam? Shuha, conquer the whole world, control the whole world. Because he says, a man who was powerless, who was sick, who was poor, has no sense of dignity. Adam 1 has dignity. I am a human being because God created me as such and I have the power of dignity because I am who I am. Adam 2 says, one second, I don't care or know about power, but I need a, I need a, I need a help me. I need a, I need a, I need a soulmate. I need a, a woman. I need a family. I need redemption. I don't care about power. You'll see in a second. You'll see. So this is what Adam 2 really needs. He's a whole different set of questions. So Adam 1 is one person. Say them Lokim, right? And then Adam 2 is something else. And Adam 2 is told what? Don't go conquer the world. Keep shuha. Don't go conquer the world. What does he Tend your own garden. Oh, you have the garden. Stay here. Stay by me. Let's see it over here. In order to... Okay, let's go to the next page, please. <clears throat> page 23. He does not mathematize phenomena or conceptualize things. He encounters the universe in all of its colorfulness, splendor, and grandeur. <clears throat> 23 stop. 23 stop. And studies it with naivete, with awe, and admiration of the child who seeks the unusual and wonderful in every ordinary thing and event. Well, uh, Einstein did that. Absolutely. Absolutely. With all the mathematization of what Einstein did in the world, he also said, wow. <laughs> Thank you. We said a lot tonight. That's <laughs> exactly. That's it's exactly correct. Because that is the perfect Adam 1, Adam 2 combination. Where you could approach it and want to understand it and control it and understand it and the other thing you say, just and harness it, to it. And harness it. And Adam one, and, well. and I just say, this is it. This is it. I can't. And I'm part of the it. Further, and see wonderful in every ordinary thing event. Well, Adam the first is dynamic and creative, transforming sensory data into. He's not negative against Adam first. Adam first is good, <clears throat> transforming sensory data into thought constructs. Adam the second is receptive and beholds the world in its original dimensions. He looks for the image of God, not in matter formula or in the natural election rule, but in every beam of light, in every bud and blossom, in the morning breeze and the stillness of the starlit evening. In a word, Adam the second explores not the scientific abstract universe, but the irresistibly fascinating qualitative world which establishes intimate relation with God. The biblical metaphor referring to God breathing life into Adam, interesting that he calls it a metaphor. Who said it's a metaphor? <laughs> right? I mean, who says it's a metaphor? He's saying it's a metaphor. The whole story is a metaphor as far as he's concerned. Adam the first, Adam the second, he's saying it's not Adam. It's typological categories. The whole, the whole thing is an allegory. The whole thing refers to what? The whole story of the whole or his interpretation. What do you say? I'm not sure what you're saying right now. The whole Adam no, 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 story. Due to the fact that it comes across... Why, why doesn't he say... I mean, I don't... Yes. We have, five inter- we have five interpretations of what he's saying. This is the fourth. So... What is Eli saying? You want to let Mark say what you're saying? I know, I know. This is really getting. You want to let Mark say what you're saying? Okay. Okay, say what he's saying. The creation uh, story, the account, the account of creation of Adam, 
and by extension a lot more, but we'll just stick to the text here, of Adam in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is an allegory. You're book. saying that he's saying that? Yes. yes. Saying it's a prerequisite, it's a... Uh, I'm it's not sure. I don't think he says that. understanding <clears throat> of creation of man. That's right. No, it's an interesting point. I think it has to be thought about. How else could it be? It's what he said. That's a good shot. It's an allegory. It's, it's good. I hear Absolutely. it. I know. I hear it. I'm, I'm intrigued by it. It's a metaphor. And he's giving you the shot. Right. That's a good. You formulated it very nicely. That's right. But I'm not sure if he'd be comfortable. I don't think. I don't think ever. That's right. It is. I don't think he'd ever call Bishit allegorical. Well, he he doesn't. <laughs> no, he just says over here the biblical metaphor referring oh, to God. Oh, this oh. one line. Uh, why? Because it's an interesting point. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to. Wait, wait, wait. That's ahead of me. That's before you. Chapter, page ten. Oh, page ten. Okay. Where are you, um, read um, right Page the 10? Page 10. I got it, okay. The psychography is not covered by Bible causes. However, the answer is not real contradiction in the nature of man. Those are talking about the real contradiction. So this is, this is, yeah, the two accounts deal with two atoms, two men, two fathers of mankind, two fathers of two. But that atom, that, that one atom has two parts to him. That's his point. It's Adam and Adam is two parts of the same individual human being. The device he's using. It's the No, I, I think uh, I, I read this as a, uh, in an allegory. Is that so, talking so about something that really happened? What do you mean happened? Oh, I, I don't know why you wedded to that idea. Why, let's say there was... This is allegorical. This meaning, Bereshit Adam from Bereshit is allegorical. His, the premise... I'm not sure that you have to say that. I don't know. I'm not sure you have to say that. You might be right. Don't you need to say this because he might be really saying, he, I don't think he addressed that question. Why would he even say metaphor here? What's the point of even bothering Because when you metaphor? continue to send, you can see how it's a metaphor. You uh, have to see anthropomorphic situation where Hashem came and actually read it Right. The guy, Tim, it's obvious, right. Tim, it's obvious is a metaphor. Right. Let me just finish this uh, paragraph. Okay. The biblical metaphor referring to God being like, so didn't happen literally. It's a metaphor. And to Adam alludes to the actual preoccupation of the latter, namely Adam with God. It wasn't a metaphor, his, by the way. We wouldn't be sitting here for three weeks trying to figure out the to his, to his genuine living experience of God rather than to some divine potential oh, never, 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 never. Uh, again the biblical metaphor from the God alludes to the actual preoccupation of, the, of Adam with God to his genuine living experience of God rather than to some divine potential or endowment in Adam say okay good he God breathed into his man the breath of life because it is the soul was not formed of the elements, nor did it emanate from the but from God's own breath. So that's what Ramban says about it. It's God's own breath, which is, of course, an extraordinary statement. Adam second lives in close union with God. His existential eye experiences is interwoven with the awareness of con- communing with the great self, whose footprints he discovers along the many tortuous paths of creation. See, right? my, my reading of this is found by Dr. Rabbi actually saying that Thermero is the Adam two part coming out in an actual event where he's searching for the why, who, and where, and why. That Selim is both. No, I see there's only that part. No, his point, he read, he read Selim God created mankind, in his image, right? And what does in his image mean? It means that a dual nature of the human being, Adam 1 and Adam 2. It's Selim Elohim, not Selim Yudkei Vavkei. I don't think he would say that. Selim Elohim is a generic term. Which refers to the creation of, of mankind. He's what? Chronological where it came and the. It's Pedic Aleph. Yeah. Although in Pedic in Pedic Hey, it's also like okay, correct. It's there also. I I think that he would say Sinokim is God created His image. What does that really mean? It means all that we're saying right now. That's a shot of what it means. Which image of God? We're saying there are two. God is an infinite image of God. Right. We're saying that there are two main. Adam one, Adam two. No, two main. Yud Kevavkei. That's one of the four distinctions. Hashem. Right. That's right. There's Yud Kevavkei and Zilukim, so and each one relates because both chapters, each one both chapters, to the world or man in a different way. Each what? Each each, each of those idols. When when they refer to Elohim, you're saying Midat Hadin, and when you that's rabbinic later on. Okay. 
but the Elohim and the Hashem have different are, are trying to bring us to understand different qualities of God okay Elohim is the natural forces and Yudkei Vav is the intimate relation that is right. achieved between man and God now you have these two men also you have two men it's really one person with one two, man. two sides one Hashem right we have one we yeah, have absolutely. one God that and right. one two and he's taking out of the potential or these uh, metaphysical thoughts. He's bringing it to a point of Adam 1 and 2, and that's what the image of God is. Right. Not what he could be or he could no, that's liken it himself to what God is. No, no, right. Okay. So back to what's actually... Okay. It, but is it Selim Elohim or is it Selim... It's both. Selim Elohim is a generic term for the way God created man, and it's in his not, image... But it's not. In Arabic, he doesn't say he's created in his image. Wait, Papa, yeah. I mean, we have to look at it again. You were here when we looked at these chapters, I think, five weeks ago, six, four, whatever. By the way, a moralist would use the other... One second, we'll finish this point here. So, but the way he's looking at it is God created man in his image. In his image, but that... God's image has these two... These dimensions. These same two dimensions that Adam 1 and Adam 2. God's image doesn't... God's... Well, by if, if Hashem's in his image, that's for sure true. Yes, was that say again? Say again that what? That God's man's created in His image. What does that mean in His image? And He's saying that man has these two main Adam and Adam two qualities. qualities. Good. Okay. So Hashem, therefore, has not has doesn't, God doesn't have any qualities. God, I, mean, I don't. We don't know what God has or is. We can't define Hashem, God. According to Rabbi Soloveitchik, Hashem imbues into man these, these two, two right. qualities. I like it better. Man right. One and okay. man two. Right. But those okay. qualities can't have to come from Hashem. No, no, not from Hashem. I don't think it's from Hashem. The I think it's right. The breath of Hashem brought this out into man. Right. According to Rabbi Solomon. That's what Selim Mokim means. According to Rabbi Solomon. Right. What is the breath of Hashem? Brought into what man. What is the breath of Hashem? The metaphor of the breath of Hashem brought into man. These two elements. His pragmatic nature and his searching nature. Right. All into one. And this is what Selim Mokim means to Rabbi Solomon. Go tell us to Rabbi Yelayim Manzo next. Wait, so let's see what he says about it. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa. 